0: Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good evening, everyone. If you don't know who I am, my name is Sam Ivey. I'm a pastoral resident here. So I'm almost two months in the game. So if, uh, if everything doesn't work out tonight, you know, I still got some training to do so y'all can show me a little bit of grace, but no, but i really am excited to bring you God's word this evening. And so for some of y'all who've been following us for the past few weeks, we've been in a study of the Lord's prayer, but we're actually going to take a break this week. So some of y'all may be a little bit disappointed, but that's okay. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. So go ahead and, and open up your Bibles or your phone apps, whatever you use. To the book of Ephesians. If you're looking through your Bible, that's in the last third of the scriptures. You'll pass the Gospels, and then you'll keep passing until you get to Galatians, and Ephesians is right after that. We'll be coming from Ephesians 2. And while you're turning there, I want to give you some context of the passage we're looking at. So, the letter to the Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul, and normally he gives us some very specific details on why he writes this letter but he doesn't give us any details like that. The only thing we know for certain is that this brother's in jail. And so yeah, that, that already isn't good. But he's writing this letter that despite his circumstance, he wants to encourage the people of God to continue in the work of God. And so what we're gonna look at tonight is this grace, right? This grace is what Paul wants his churches to be seeped in. It's the gospel that he wants his churches to be fueled by. But he doesn't want this gospel to be something that we hold on to he wants this grace to also send us out and to bless those in our midst. And so as you'll read along with me, we're going to be, it's going to be on the screen. We're in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Read along with me. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, fallen the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening as humbly as we know how, just asking, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Use me as your mouthpiece. Let the people know what you want them to know about this grace that you offer us as a gift that sends us out. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you were to die right now, what would you tell God to let you into heaven? This is the question that was asked me when I was a sophomore at Georgia Southern University. You can put that picture up. And so this is the Georgia Southern Library. Right before this, there was a college minister that came up to me and he said, are you a Christian? And of course, I grew up in the church, so naturally I said, yeah, of course. He said, would you like to do a Bible study? I said, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I hadn't been in a Bible study in a while. I knew I needed God's word. And so we sat down in the library. He sat across from me. And he shared this bridge diagram with me from Romans 6:23. It says for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so he broke up the verse. You had man on this side for his wages of sin is death, and you had God on the other side offering us this free gift. And so he posed this question. He said, "Say a man is on this side of the Grand Canyon and God is on this side. How can you bridge this gap?" And so if you were to die right now, what would you tell God? To bridge this gap for you. I know all of y'all are thinking, Sam, you've been in church. You should know the Sunday school answer. The answer is Jesus, right? I'm ashamed to say that is not how I answered, because at this time I don't believe I was a Christian. And so I said, well, you know, I've lived the best life I possibly can be and I did everything I thought I could do well. And so he looked at me and he said, Sam, Isaiah 64 6 says, all our righteous deeds or acts are like filthy rags before God. I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where the oxygen is just sucked out of the room. That's what happened to me. It was very heavy, it was weighty because I knew that my sins they were keeping me from something good, and I was trying so hard to escape this guilt. But I was sad and in despair. And so I kind of asked the million-dollar question: well, how can anyone be saved? And if you're a pastor or a campus minister, that's the question you're hoping that the person you're sharing the Bible study with. And so he smiled at me and he said, Jesus. And he actually shared this very passage with me. This Ephesians 2, eight through nine. And he said, it's grace. And so if you haven't experienced this grace, if you're watching online or if you're here in the congregation, you haven't experienced this grace. I want this message to soak in you and through you to know that God is offering this to you as a free gift. But in reality, there's a problem. We were created to be in relationship with God, but there's something that happened that disrupted that union, and now we're in a problem. And so just like I thought we had to earn our salvation by working, this passage here is telling us the exact opposite. But what's so interesting is just like this letter that Paul is writing to these Christians, we suffer the same way. We're tempted to try to find life and our salvation apart from God. But here Paul wants to reorient our hearts back to grace. And so in our text tonight, our text invites us with this, because God saves us by grace alone, we must trust in him for salvation and good works. And so you can go to our points here. Our two points that we'll be looking at tonight is one, trust in God's saving grace, and then two, trust in God's sending grace, right? So we're going to look at our first point, and so you can go to the next slide. It's trust in God's saving grace, so we're going to go back to our passage in verse eight. What does it say? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. What is grace? What do you think about when it comes to your mind? Is it saying grace before you eat food? Is it someone's name? Right. What is what is grace to you? Right. We have grace right here. Right. Yeah. Where it's perfect. Yeah. Right. But when the Bible talks about grace, you can go to that next slide. It's saying there is this, a this spontaneous, unmerited gift of divine favor. What is spontaneous about it? It's unpredictable. There's no pattern to it. God just gives it out as he so chooses. It's unmerited. So you can't work for it but it's also divine favor. It's something that God can only give, but it's a blessing that also gives you a standing, which is righteous. That's what this grace is. So you can go back to our verse here. So for by grace, this spontaneous, unmerited gift of divine favor, you have been saved. Do I have any grammar nerds in here? Does anybody care about grammar? It might just be me, but... (laughs) This is one of my favorite tenses in the Bible, right? So I need y'all to say this with me so y'all can say with me. It's the perfect passive tense. So say that. The perfect perfect passive tense. That's right. So perfect in the sense of it represents an event that happened in the past, but it has something to do with what's happening now in the present. So that's the perfect aspect about it. You've been saved in the past, and it now carries you into the present circumstance. But then it's also passive, Right. And so what a passive verb does is it means the subject is not the one doing the action. There's a third party out here that is doing the action upon the subject. So you here, you are the subject here. Now, you can't save yourself. So there's, there's this other entity that has to save you. So we can go uh, on to the next slide here because we have to be saved from something. So what is it? Paul tells us here in Ephesians, he says, and you were dead. Now, what does dead mean? Right. We can say not alive. But here, spiritually speaking, Paul is talking about a relationship. Right. You're eternally separated from God. Why? Because of your trespasses and your sins. Right. In which you once walked following the course of this world. If you do not have the spirit of God in you, there is a spirit outside that is amongst the culture that sways us to and fro. And so if we're not rooted in this grace, if we're dead and apart from Christ, we are sons of disobedience is what it says. It says that we're enslaved in our passions of our flesh and we're carrying out the desires of our body and mind. And it says that the ultimate consequence is for us to be children of wrath. Now this is a death sentence. This is terrible news because what is a child of wrath A child of wrath is a lawbreaker. It's someone who has decided to rebel against God and is ultimately deserving of this punishment to be eternally separated from him. And we often know this as hell. And if we're not in Christ, we're in wrath. If we're not in grace, we're in disgrace. And so to be a child of wrath is to be burdened with terrible news. The next slide, please. But the gospel, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not have that wrath put on them, but what does it say? Have eternal life. It's that restoring relationship that God offers us. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what does it say? In order that it might be saved right? So y'all remember our perfect passive tense. There's this third entity that has done something for us that saves us. And here it is right here. It's Jesus himself that is the one doing the action of saving us from something. And so we have to look back. How how do we receive this gift? It says you've been saved what? Through faith. Now, what do we say about faith, right? I see y'all looking really comfortable in those church pews, you know, y'all are really confident that it's gonna hold your weight up. That's faith. You're trusting in full assurance that it's gonna carry your weight through however long I talk right now, right? <laughs> That's what faith is. But it's also something much more personal, right? So I became a Christian my sophomore year, and like every other college ministry, they had a conference for me. So I went to a conference, <laughs> right? I went to the conference. At this conference, they had a free day. So I went with two of my other boys. There was a basketball tournament, 3v3. So we were going to play in that, but we were on CP time. So we missed the sign-ups, right? <laughs> we missed the sign-ups for the basketball tournament. So we're like, what are we going to do for the free day, right? So we're going through, what can we do? And there's some other friends that said, hey, we're going caving. Do y'all want to go caving with us? Now I'm going to admit, I was a little ignorant about what caving actually entails. Now, I don't know if y'all seen Scooby-Doo, like the cartoon. Like, I'm thinking caving, like you have a flashlight in your hand. You know, you're just kind of walking through. Oh, there's a bat. You know, there's a stagmite and all this other stuff, right? That's what I'm thinking caving, right? When we get there, I should have known something was up. Because instead of having a flashlight in my hand, we had a headband with a flashlight on it. So I was like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe... Maybe I just don't know what's going on. Then they say, all right, we're going to go into this hole. Now, this isn't the cave, but it looks kind of like it, right? So you can imagine. If you see this hole, and you're like, all right, yeah, we're going caving. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I can't be a punk now. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm here. I can't back out. So we go into the cave. Now, the other guys that took us had been caving before. So they went on. But I'm noticing we're sliding through mud, and we're, we're having to climb up different things and jump over this and that. And so I'm like, oh, boy, this is not going to work. Well, ultimately, that group of guys leaves us. So it's me and two other brothers in this cave. (laughs) And we have no idea what's going on. So at first, it was kind of funny, you know, because, oh, you know, we're not in the cave. We can try to figure this out, right? So we start following each other through and going over this different thing. But then we got stuck. So you can see it's dark in this cave. So after five minutes, you know, we were kind of laughing. We're like, okay, things will get better. But we get to this one part where we need help in getting up. Ten minutes go by. We're looking at our watches. We have no cell phone service, so we can't text or call anybody. Twenty minutes go by. We're thinking we're going to die, right? (laughs) Like, we're going to die in this cave. Like, there's nothing that's going to happen. And so finally we say, well, let's just wait, see if someone will come. 30 minutes go by, and a light comes. And we start hearing voices. And so we're like, oh yeah, this is is the group we came with. It wasn't the group we came with. But we explained to this group, we're stuck in this cave and we need help getting out. They said, well, we've been here before, we're experienced cavers, we'll help you get out. And they let us out of this cave. And I can't tell you, when you see that light after being in the darkness for so long... When you've been in the darkness for so long, it's something about seeing the light, the other side, that brings you hope. And in the same way, spiritually speaking, when we're in the cave of wrath and we're in desperate need of rescue from certain death and destruction, is Jesus the experienced caver who has showed us the way out with his grace? And if we put our full faith and full confidence in the experienced caver, he leads us out. Out of the cave. So when we receive this grace of salvation, it is this, that sense of desperation you have, that there's only one way out of this cave, and it's through a man named Jesus. Now, some of us already know this. Some of y'all listen to me like, Sam, I know the gospel. I know about this grace stuff. But if we are, if we are, if we are honest, right? Do we really? Do we live our lives that way? Because if you're like me, you sometimes know that grace saves you, but you forget and try to do actions to still try to save yourself. And Paul writes a little bit extra for someone like me. So if you go to the next slide, he says, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. And Paul does something really cool here. He has this wordplay of a gift and works. So what is a gift, right? You might think of a birthday gift, you might think of a Christmas gift, but it's something that's freely given, right? So if I hand you a gift, do you hand me back $20? Right, do you kind of look at the gift and like, mm, it's about 50, I need about $50 to eat, right? No, right, if someone hands you a gift, you just say thank you and you receive it. But then he gives us this idea of works, right? What is a work? is something like an activity or a deed that you do that requires effort that gets you a certain goal, right? You're working to get a goal. But Paul tells us here, if you're working towards this, it's futile. Why? Because God's grace is a gift. You don't have to pay money for it. It's been paid in full. You don't have to work for it. Jesus did all the work for you. And so you receive it as a gift, but Paul doesn't just go on there. He wants us to remember it's not a result of works. For what purpose? So that no one can boast. Because this is what happens to us. We may be saved, but sin can still kind of whisper in our ear, you can be the hero. You can be the Savior. You can save that person. But in this story of life, there's only one hero. There's only one Savior in this life, and it's Jesus Christ who came and saved us. So how can we apply this grace to our lives? One, we can just rest in it. Pastor Steve gave us a sermon about Martha and Mary. And in that sermon, it said, Mary just sat at Jesus' feet. He, she just rested and listened. How has it been with you just being with Jesus lately? Rest in his grace. Next, we need to reflect on our lives. Where are the areas in our lives where we are still not applying God's grace to it? where we're still not giving our whole selves to God, take some time to reflect on that. Because if we rest in God's grace, if we reflect on our lives, we'll know that this is the grace that has changed us and there's more to it. So now that we know that God saves us once we receive this grace as a gift, we can't work for it, what's the point of good works, right? Why do it? What profits us as Christians? And so today, if you didn't know, is Reformation Sunday, right? And so this is, we represent Martin Luther and his 95 Theses staple to the church. This is a quote from him when it comes to grace and works. He says, we are not saved by works, but if there be no works, there must be something amiss with faith. You can go to the next slide. This is how the Bible says it in James. It says, so also faith itself if it does not have works, is what? Dead. So now we'll go to our second point. Our second point is trusting God's sending grace. He says, for we are his workmanship. So what is workmanship, right? What, what does workmanship mean? It is the Greek word poema, right? And as you hear that word, you might think, that sounds a lot like poem, because that's exactly where we get that word from. But when Paul uses this word poema, another word for it is just creation. So you can go all the way back to Genesis when God created everything. It was his creation. So this workmanship, once you come into Christ, you're being created into something completely new. You're being created into a masterpiece. So you can go to the next slide. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation, The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so literally what Paul is saying is once you accept Christ into your life, you are now this masterpiece that's being created. And so think about any good work of art you've had, whether it's a poem, whether it's a painting you've seen, isn't there something about it that draws you to it, right? The artist puts his values, he puts the beauty and all his gifting into it, and in the same way, God is the artist that has given us his values, his beauty, and we're not just supposed to display it, we're supposed to have it go out and touch other people. Do you trust in this grace that God is offering? Let's look back at our text. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. So these works are, once we receive God's grace, it then sends us out for the benefit of other people. How do I know it's for the benefit of other people? What does it say? In Christ Jesus for good works. So Jesus, what did he do in his life? I just made a short list here. It says, Jesus healed the sick, the blind, and the lame. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus fed thousands of people. Jesus taught others the truth of God's word and he gave them hope. And ultimately, Jesus died on the cross in order to give his life as a ransom for many. So how do I know that these good works are meant to benefit other people? Because we're meant to imitate Jesus because we're in him. Everything he did, everything in his life was for other people. And so, if we are to reflect and imitate him in this world, we're to do the same. You can go to the next slide. This is what Jesus tells us in John 14. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my Father. This is what Jesus did. I gave you the list of what he did, and what did he say? You're going to do these and greater. And greater things than this. This is God's grace that captures us first, but it transforms and sends us out for the benefit of others. But what's so important about what Jesus said? What does he say at the end? Because I'm going to be with my father. Jesus has left, he's ascended. And so who does he leave this work to on this earth? It's to us, right? He is doing this work through us because he's gone and ascended to his father. so what does this look like for you when we talk about good works? How could this be impacted by your life? How can we be Jesus to the people that we see every single day? What about when we go to work, to our coworkers, our employers, our, our, the people that we serve, those who come in for the goods and services that we offer? What about our families? How can we show good works, parents, to our children? Children, how can we share good works to our parents, right? How about good works in our friendships, in our relationships? What would it look like to do good works to our enemies and those we don't like? Because Jesus did the same for us. He says, while we were his enemies, Christ died. And lastly, New City West End. What would it look like for us to do good works in this community? How can we love our neighbors as ourselves? Now for some of us when we hear these questions it might be overwhelming, right? It's like, man, I got to do good works all the time it seems. But we have to remember, this is the best part of doing good works as a Christian, right? Because what it, go back to our verse. What does it say? This, this is what's so amazing about being a Christian of good works. It says, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, right? So it's the grace that we don't work for that saves us, right? So we don't do any work in that regard, right? But then what does it say? He prepared these works even beforehand. So it's God who actually orchestrates this whole thing. Back in Ephesians 1, Paul tells us that God chose us before the foundation of the world. And here in Ephesians 2, Paul is saying, not only that, but he's actually prepared every good work that you're ever gonna do also before the foundations of this world. And so what do you got to do? What does the verse say? Walk. walk in it. Walk in it. I love it, I love it. So when I hear walk in it, right? This is the image I have in my mind. Have you ever gone to a buffet or to a Thanksgiving dinner and you can't cook? You can't <laughs> cook, right? So this, I'm talking, I'm talking about myself, right? You ever been to a buffet or Thanksgiving dinner? You can't cook. You ain't cook nothing up in that mud, right? But you see the food, right? And what you got to do? Just walk up, get that plate, go ahead and start serving it, right? And you go sit down and eat. That's the, maybe that's not the exact image that Paul invokes here. But that's what I think of, right? It's like you just walk in. You grab a plate. It's the same thing with good works. God has already orchestrated all these good works. Walk in, grab your plate. Oh, here's a neighbor I can help. Here's someone I can give a word of encouragement to. Here's someone I can pray for. Here's someone I can lend some money to. Here's someone that I can just do a good deed for. Here's someone that I can just pat on the back and say, hey, God loves you. He cares for you, right? We just walk into them. That's what's so beautiful about it. There's nothing that we need to do. We just trust in God for everything. And so how can we apply this to our lives? One, is we just walk daily into the good works that God prepares for us. They're everywhere. All you have to do is keep your head up. You see, our problem is we tend to keep our head down. We keep to keep our eyes focused on ourselves, our own circumstances. But it's rare that we look up and see what's actually around us. I would invite you to go for a prayer walk around your community. That's one of the most transformative things I've ever done in my life, is to just pray that Jesus, give me your eyes so that I can have compassion on other people. What else can we do? We can use the access and privilege that God gives each and every one of us to seek the peace and prosperity of this city. So what resources has God given you? What title or opportunity have you been given that you could be a blessing to other people with what you have? Lastly, I think it's we just need to remember because we're so easily forget, right? There's so many times in the Old Testament that God tells the people of Israel, remember this, set up a memorial to remember this, do this feast, do that feast, do this festival, offer this sacrifice, because he doesn't want them to forget, and we so easily forget. So remember that it's God's grace that prepares the work, and he also gives us the grace that sends us to work it out. But where does the power come for us to do this, right? Right? This is such a daunting task. It seems like we always have to be on, right? We can't be off. We always have to be showing good works. But the beautiful thing is, it's grace. Whenever you feel yourself start saying, I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more. Remember, no, 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 no. God has already done enough. Just rest. Do the grace that God's offered. Where does the power come? It comes from earlier in our verse, back in verse four. What does it say? It says that while we were by nature children of wrath, while we were running around with the spirit of the sons of disobedience, there's this verse, in, there's this verse here in four. What does it say? It says, "But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which with He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, who made us alive?" Who made us alive? Christ, right? I didn't even hear y'all say that loud, right? It's, it's Christ that does this, right? It's our perfect passive tense, right? It's, the, it's Jesus that does this on our behalf. But not only that, what does it say? It says it's raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Do you know what Jesus is doing in the heavenly places? Do y'all know what he's doing there? So in, in Matthew 28, right, is the Great Commission. What does Jesus say there? He says, I have... All power and authority where? In heaven and on earth, right? And then as he's ascending, he, in, in Acts, what does he tell them? As I go up there, I'm going to send you a helper that's going to help you do everything else. But what the Bible also tells us about Jesus is he's sitting at the right hand of God with all authority and power and he's making intercession on our behalf, right? That's what he's doing. He's making this intercession on our behalf but what does it say in verse 7? For the purpose that in the coming ages, what is he going to show us? The immeasurable riches of his grace. What is immeasurable? How, how can you measure that? right? You, you can't, right? It's, that's how big it is. It's immeasurable. But what does it say? Immeasurable riches of what? Grace. There's that word again. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus if you're struggling tonight because you feel like you're too dirty for God to save you, if you feel like you've done enough, nothing else matters because you feel like you aren't anything, I'm here to tell you that God offers this grace as a gift. And if you need Jesus tonight, you can come talk to me later after this, Pastor Thurman, Pastor Steve, Pastor Anner here, or anyone that might have brought you because this grace is offered as a free gift. But if you're a believer in Christ and you feel like God doesn't love you because you haven't done X, I'm here to tell you there's some immeasurable riches of grace that Jesus Christ is offering to you. There's immeasurable riches of grace. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and God bless.